Hello and welcome to the Jabroni Show on CFRC 101.9 FM. And as always, I'm kicking, cooling, and chilling back with Evan. How's it going up in Kingston today? Uh, not too bad. Uh, we got some rain. Um, but most importantly, we just got the, uh, you, you probably remember it, the six o'clock bell from the church over uh, just a bit e- yeah, east of us. So that's, I, I, I love hearing the bells. Um, so yeah, no, as of now, I'm, I'm in a positive mood due to the, due to the presence of the bells, but, uh, yeah, no, how, how, how's it going in the Waterloo? I mean, it's been going great. The recent week has been quite sunny. I've been able to get on my bike, uh, quite a bit, but it's been a little rainy recently and it's apparently going to snow this coming week. So hopefully that does turn around. Yeah. What on Wednesday or Thursday, maybe Wednesday and Thursday, apparently both days here. Wow. But enough, enough with the weather report. I want to move over to some of the, maybe we can get a temperature of what's going on in the Eastern Conference, if you will. Mm-hmm. Speaking of temperature, um, I think Bam just uh, the heat, heat reference. Ha ha ha! I think Bam just uh, scored a buzzer beater to beat the Nets. Um, that's neither here nor there. There's two. We were talking before we got on air. There's two interesting teams and. If you ask me what their trajectory would be for the end of the season two, three weeks ago, uh, I feel like I would have given you an, the opposite answer of what's occurring. So that's the Bulls and the Celtics. We'll get to the Celtics in a second. But man, ever since trading for Vooch, the Bulls have really, 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 really struggled. And I, I'm, I'm trying to remember what our initial thoughts were after the trade. I think, I think we were kind of on the same page in the sense that um, we thought, and I'm just going to, I'm going to get a quick update on how they've been doing these past. Yeah. So starting April 9th, they lost to the Hawks and they lost to the Timberwolves and they lost to the Grizzlies and they lost to the magic. Then they lost to the Grizzlies again and they beat the Cavs yesterday. But yeah. No, ever since acquiring Vucevic, they've, I mean, they've been losing games. Uh, their defense certainly hasn't improved, and, and nor is their offense. Um, I feel like both of our thoughts after the initial trade were we were kind of almost like wanted to give the Bulls a bit of credit because it did feel like they were wasting kind of the the and they don't have a lot didn't have a lot of talent on their team. It was pretty minimal between, but they wanted to capitalize on on. I mean, we're definitely, this may be Zach Levine's best season in the NBA. It may be the best season um, he'll ever have in his career. Of course, they wanted to capitalize that. They liked what they saw in Patrick Williams. Um, I mean, obviously, they're still up on Kobe White. Saying they had enough good players, and th- their front court was jammed. So they traded for Vucevic. So we, we gave them, I feel like, credit in that sense, like, it almost seems like at the end of the season, so many teams are trying to lose and get rid of their kind of auxiliary players and auxiliary contracts that could maybe help them get a better spot in the lottery. But the Bulls kind of went the opposite direction. Um, needless to say, though, and we touched upon it after the trade, it didn't work. But it, the the bigger issue is that there just still isn't enough isn't enough talent in my And as opinion. well, it's we've got Levine out with an injury too. The guy they've tried to build this entire team around, which doesn't help. No, it doesn't. Um, yeah. But now they're, it just like the bulls have been almost, it feels like in shambles 
for how long now? Ever since Jimmy Butler left, which will be would be probably about four seasons now. And, and I mean, look at Minnesota since Jimmy Butler left as well. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, but yeah, it, it feels like this this trade could set them even further back and they're kind of trying to re- attempt to resurge as a, as a playoff team in the East. Um, they're going to end up in a play in a playing game. Uh, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if they'll even make it, but in retrospect that like there were team people after the trade was made, um, they thought their playoff chances would have, would have seriously escalated in that they, they maybe would have grabbed a, you know, like maybe an eight seed as, as Melo got injured um, for the Hornets so that people thought they probably would die down. But they're they're looking kind of locked in at 10 unless if Indiana uh, drops a lot. Another kind of interesting one, which um, hasn't been getting maybe enough credit, and I don't know if they deserve all that much credit because, I mean, they're still 23 and 33. But that's good enough for 11th seed, and they were they're at the bottom. They're 15 seed for a while. Washington's actually making a bit of a a jump. They're now tied I mean, with the Bulls. Westbrook's Westbrook did this last season um, in Houston after they traded away Capella. He he put on a show, and he's doing it now again. Um, but still, I think it's I think it's probably a, too little, too late for them. I don't know though. We'll see. Um, any thoughts on yeah no so thoughts on the bulls and I guess we can start with the bulls how like how bad does that trade seem to you now? It doesn't look good and especially the loss to Orlando the other game with Wendell Carter looking great in it and mm-hmm. by all means I don't think Wendell Carter's this old NBA guy they missed out on and at his ceiling he's gonna be as good as Vucevic is now, but. Mm-hmm. Zach Levine is a free agent soon, and if they can't win with by adding another All Star and bolstering their roster by you know trading uh, trading away Luke Cornett, adding Tice, and now I mean Luke Cornett looks great on Boston. We'll get to that later, but it's and as well with Zach Levine injured, it's just it's not looking great as a because the reason why we I won't say we liked it, but the reason why we thought okay this could be a good trade. Is that okay? Uh, they want Levine to stay. They need to improve this year. They add Vucevic, who's a great all-star level player. They w- get into the play-in tournament, get some playoff experience, kind of give a taste to their team. Patrick Williams develops. We, we both have agreed he's looked phenomenal this year as kind of a switching big man who can provide a little bit offensively. He's been terrible recently. And these things that need to happen in order for the Bulls to take the leap that they were expecting with this trade just haven't happened. And it's just kept compiling, especially with Levine injury now. Yeah, no, I'm with you on it. It seemed like the Bulls themselves knew that adding Vooch. And I think Vooch is a, a, a quite a bit better than Levine. I don't know which one is more valuable to them just because the, the big man versus the guard. But I thought Vucevic was, was quite a bit better than Levine. So like a okay, Acquiring him, I mean, I hope the Bulls didn't all of a sudden think that they'd be, I mean, quote unquote, good, but they couldn't have foreseen this. And I, I think, I think kind of the you mentioned Levine entering free agency soon. Um, I think the move was just was just for them to kind of say to themselves like, 
okay, we can, we can, we haven't made the playoffs and it feels like maybe four years. Like they almost wanted to remind themselves that, I mean, they are the Chicago Bulls, they're one of the biggest markets in the NBA, most, one of the most historic franchises. And it's, it's, it's really backfiring. Man, it's 2021. Uh, obviously, the 2023 pick, it, it, it's, it's tough. Adding the, the two, the two first rounders is never good. But the 2021 pick now, if the Bulls, slide to 11 with Levine injured or or they don't make the play in and that's a that's a really good pick for Orlando that's going to be around an eighth so yeah I'm not it's almost it, sometimes you see franchises dig their cells in a bit of a hole and I think I think the Bulls may have done that here but at the same time I mean the small sample size with Levine and Vooch and I again I'm I really like Vooch so I don't think it's totally a mess, but but yeah, that's 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 a team that uh, I would have been much happier to be a fan of three weeks ago than now. Yeah, no, it it's definitely a mess for this year, like you said, with the implications coming with the trading away their twenty twenty one pick. And something yeah. else I wanted to mention is they need to trade Laurie Markinen as well. He has looked; mm-hmm. they've moved him to small forward now, and he has looked lost out on the floor there he doesn't really have a role it's not defined he can't really do any of the things they need him to do he can't play defense that great at all his shooting has been lackluster and i know i was making a case for him earlier in the season but now that they have vooch and he's not really getting the touches he used to it just shows that he's not he's just he could be a great player somewhere else but he just is not fitting in in uh, in, uh, in chicago and i think it's time for him to go find maybe a better situation for himself yeah, sometimes it feels kind of obvious on both sides that a player situation because of circumstances isn't isn't, isn't great and it, it not great for him or the team and and he's I think fits that category pretty well. He just needs a new start. Um, I don't think he'll ever reach even come close to reaching what people thought he'd kind of be like in his rookie season but i think he could carve out a super super nice i mean we're seeing so like dario saric right now in phoenix i've liked him for years but he's only kind of now re-getting attention that he got in his rookie season in philadelphia he's been really really good and i think that player i mean that type of player stays in the nba for for years and years and years so i think marketing can carve out that type of role just just not with not with uh, not with Chicago right now. I think I think I'd like to see him on take a smaller role on maybe a better team. But yeah, I, Chicago. Looking back, considering he's going to be an RFA, Chicago probably also should have tried to trade him at the deadline. No, you're completely right. And while we're kind of talking about these teams that have changed, I wanted to add one more, and that's the uh, Denver Nuggets, who just lost Jamal Murray to a terrible ACL injury recently uh, this week, and. The problem with this injury is it doesn't just mess up this season. It also messes next. up next season as well because his injury is going to take 12 to 18 months for him to get back to full strength. And it's going to be another shortened off season. I mean, we might even see the season start as early as October like normal. And for for them to lose Jamal is just so devastating as far as he's not playing in the playoffs this year. He's not playing for Canada this summer. He's not playing at the start of the season next year. And for a team that had so much promise with the trade of Aaron Gordon, it's just unfortunate to see. 
Yeah, it's it's funny. The, the the timing you just mentioned is so bad too. It's like it's almost funny to say, but if you if you you tear your ACL, you, you want to do it as early in the season as possible. Um, yeah, that that was that was a shame for me. I didn't. I, I'm a bigger Denver supporter than others. I think maybe I think I think I really really believe in what Jokic can do. Um, but you know, I was I was super conscious that they weren't going to make any. Um, crazy 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 headway in this playoffs but man like for me i think denver is one of the most exciting teams like down the stretch i felt like every one of their bubble games last year was nuts and just like for me it was finding out that of course he wasn't gonna play next year um i mean it's looking that way at least obviously sucks but like we're gonna get denied of a really good like denver clippers or denver lakers or denver phoenix or you know a denver portland series that's that's that also is is a really bad side because denver's had fun playoff series for it seems like the past three years now that's another reason i was kind of disappointed at the time and another kind of conversation that arose from the denver injury is the injuries in the nba and i know the nba came out saying that the injuries are actually on a lower pace than last year but I wanted to bring attention to the level of injuries on those teams that played in the final four, especially on the West, because we're looking at LeBron, AD, Jamal, Paul George, all have been injured on the West side. I'm missing a couple. Donovan Mitchell got injured. Yeah. On the East side, Jimmy's been out for extended periods of time. Bam missed early parts of the season. I know Dragic has been kind of on and off the court. Miami's also dealt with a lot of injuries. Boston, uh, not as much. They've their stuff has been more COVID related. But that is actually is a good point. I wasn't fully thinking about because I saw the report too that injuries, and especially I think it was like non-contact injuries, were actually down this year, um, which feels kind of random to me. I feel like they're either going to be down or up, but. But you raising the point that feels like also like it's it's kind of amazing to think Chris Paul hasn't been injured this year. Now that I think about it, anyways. Um, but that's no, that's it's a, vegan it's a good diet, point. But that's another that's another day. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that's a good. That's a very good point. At the same time, I mean, teams who didn't make it that far in the bubble, like they're not, they're not. Uh, they're not like um, getting rewarded from from like I don't know how to explain this, but it's not like um, it's not like because Milwaukee because they made it only to the second round, they're not like rewarded for that. So I think it I think it kind of evens out. But yeah, uh, you raising the point about Braun and AD, um, Paul George, and I mean yeah, no Jimmy Butler is actually an interesting one because man, they they really have played a lot a lot of basketball in the past i guess 10 months really and jamal murray just played six games in the last eight days leading up to that injury and he already had soreness in his other knee which usually uh means that he's favoring the knee that he ended up getting his acl torn on right and yeah i think these are all good points i think another one is like i think it's also like teams and it's tough to say down the stretch but i think teams also and coaches also have a sort of responsibility of um 
kind of limiting minutes. I've, I mean, I've like this year a bunch of times watching Raptors games. I've, I feel like I've been watching Fred Van Fleet and saying it, and I, I, I've known that we, we needed him on the court, but I found myself like saying to myself almost like, oh my God, like this guy, this guy literally looks like he's about to get injured. Like, take him off like i don't know but but around the league like num, num, minute numbers have not gone down from previous years like like obviously you have Thibodeau who plays his players basically 37 minutes a night randall's playing 37 um i believe barrett's playing like 36 but around the league i mean superstars are just playing 35 labrine's playing 35 Jokic is playing 35 bradley beal's playing 35.4 Murray's was 10th in the league in minutes to me I think there's also some responsibility on the coaches and I know it's really really tough when they're coaching for their lives like I think Milwaukee honestly does a really good job they the games they win they're winning them fast and and I mean Giannis only averages you know 33 minutes a game or something like that I think Middleton's down also down at 33 so I think another kind of responsibility goes on the coaches but um, I do agree with you. But one more point I wanted to raise on the injury front was the reason why we might be seeing a balanced out level of injuries from previous years is because we have to take into account a lot of teams who weren't in the play-in tournament rested for a very, very, very long time. And out uh-huh. of all the major injuries, the only person, some other ones I didn't mention earlier, were Kevin Durant, Joel Embiid. Well, Kevin Durant was already injured, but Joel Embiid, James Harden. Also, the only player who wasn't injured who didn't go to the bubble, well, who didn't really get that full bubble experience was Markel Fultz. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I know of a couple more off the top of my head. Karis I mean, Levert, he was injured. He was in the bubble. I was going to say Thomas Bryant on the Wizards. He tore, was in the bubble. Tore his ACL. Um, I mean, he was, yeah. I'm trying to think of other guys. I mean, John Collins has been injured a lot this year. He wasn't in the bubble. Of course, there's Mellow Ball. But I think, you know, I think you raise a good point. I think it's, I think it also, it feels, injuries do feel a bit random at the same time. I mean, Clay, like Clay uh, tore his ACL, or I think it was an Achilles guy. He tore it working out. Um, I mean, Wiseman even. Uh, TJ, I mean, TJ Warren maybe is an example of that. He played a lot during the bubble and hasn't really recovered since. But um, yeah, I, I I could see that being maybe being a bit of a factor as well. Yeah, I'm not saying the bubble's the cause for every single injury by any means, but I'm saying it's worth not only looking at, you know, the the full picture, but looking at how much more likely a player is to get injured based on the minutes he played, based on how far they went in the bubble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I agree. Um, getting off injuries, we the other team I listed as the... Well, three weeks ago, around deadline time, after the deadline had finished, and, and, and Tice had gone to the Bulls, and, I mean, Boston really do anything. It, on Twitter, at least, Boston fans were kind of giving into the Danny Ainge hate. And I think we were uh, ourselves adding to, I wouldn't say we were hating on him, but we we're, we we're providing a bit of a discourse. Um, usually we're fans of Danny Ainge, I think. 
and he hadn't really done much to acquire any significant big man in like two years. It feels like he's whiffed a lot. Uh, and it feels like people were coming, coming for the Celtics heads. Uh, Brad Stevens was getting like these weird college coaching rumors. It was reported yesterday that Indiana offered him seven years, $70 million, which is kind of crazy. Um, and people kind of like, not, I'm not going to say gave up on the Celtics season because, I mean, it's impossible to give up when you have Tatum and Brown on your team. Um, but, I mean, I don't like I don't just say they're they're all the way back. I really don't think they're, you know, that – I don't think they belong in the sort of Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Milwaukee section of the Eastern Conference. But, I mean, they're they're pretty close, like – their last, I'm going to find their last games. Yeah, so they've won now six in a row. And I mean, they've beaten the Nuggets, they've beaten the Blazers, they've beaten the Lakers, they've beaten the Warriors, they've beaten the Knicks, they've beaten the Timberwolves. But they're, I mean, they're looking really good. Um, So I, my question to you is more, I feel like we know why they're performing it it felt like they were just getting really bad minutes out of Kemba and um I mean it feels like everyone else is contributing a bit better plus I think Stevens kind of found finally found his rotations he's playing Robert Williams a lot more um Fournier's obviously helped quite a bit but I, you think they're you think they can kind of slide into that make some noise in the east or you think they're still kind of um kind of on that weird fringe of not you think they deserve to be taken seriously given the past kind of six games I think that's a really good question to ask and I think for that question I definitely do think that they should be considered not contenders in the East as far as them being on the same level as Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and the not they're probably in the similar areas, the Heat where mm-hmm. where they could they could definitely make some rumbles this year and upsets do happen. And I we always talk about, you know, the favorites and we never really mention the potential for an upset. And Boston is a team that I think Jason Tatum as we've seen in the past, can just go into God mode and become the best player in the series against a lot of different teams in the East, I believe, barring kind of Milwaukee and Brooklyn. But could he have could he become and play better than Joel Embiid and outscore them potentially? And yeah. Jalen Brown has also looked great in these past six games. And that's kind of what's given me the most hope for them over the past six because it shows that when Tatum doesn't show up. There is another dude there who's ready to step in an all-star this year who we've been extremely high on. And then um, Luke Cornett, who they traded for Tice, I think has been better than Tice for them. He's been passing like extremely well in his small, extremely small sample size. He's averaging an assist per game, which he wasn't even sniffing before. And as well as a block and a half, he's been active on the defensive end. He's shooting 33% from three. It's it's shocking, but I don't know. I'm not. I'm not all in on Boston by any means, but I definitely think they deserve some props. They also had the Jabari Parker signing the other day, and he dropped 11 in his debut. What do you think about that, too? Uh, I think I think Jabari Parker is a bit too uh, far gone. I just don't think I don't think the skill set matches uh, 
the game anymore. And I think, I think, I think it's just the consistency things an issue. He's just, he's just too in and out of the league. Um, but man, like I'm, Tatum's averaging 26 an efficient 26 and Brown's averaging an incredibly efficient 24.6. I don't know how many teams in the league have two 25 point scores from wings who feels like they can get their own shot. Um, and they're also, you know, they're both three level scores. I think I, I, I like them in that fringe area with Miami. And I think, I think both could definitely be one of the top three teams in a series. I think Boston would have a lot of trouble against Brooklyn. I just don't think they have enough firepower there. And I don't think they have enough, maybe defense, but like if you get the Kemba that they've been getting, if you, you get an even average Kemba, because man, Kemba has been real like he's almost, the key to this all yeah Kemba's been like almost he's been one of the the worst shooters in the entire nba this year and he's shooting the ball 15 times a game if you get an even average Kemba and you get a healthy marcus smart and fournier you know plays how you want him to play I, there there is like that that's dangerous to me it seems but um yeah no i'm not i'm not I'm not too ready to put them at the top three. Although I, I keep on seeing like Tatum and Brown and, and in terms of one, two punch, I mean, it feels pretty even with Embiid and Simmons. It's obviously nothing compares to Brooklyn, but it, it, it feels better than, I mean, Miami, to be honest. It, and it, in a way it feels a bit better than Milwaukee. So yeah, I think, I think there could be something interesting there, but I, I think, I, I don't know. I don't think they're that, that for real, but like, again, they could win another, you know, seven games in a row. I, I think Boston has the potential to do that. They could also lose a lot. I think it matters a lot how they go into the playoffs. Yeah. The one thing why I take Milwaukee over them is I take Drew Holiday and Giannis over that duo, I think just because of what they can bring defensively. And how they could shut down a Brooklyn team, knowing that you can put Drew Holiday on a Kyrie Irving or James Harden, and then put Giannis on Kevin Durant and have unbelievable defense. Some of the best players in the league guarding some of the best scorers. I swear we keep on hinting it, almost even hinting at it. But this is like if you actually get if you actually if you're Milwaukee and you actually get what you expect from Chris Middleton, like what he's averaging this season, which by the way is really, really good. He has to be one of the most, I, he, he, it's not even like he's underrated. People know how good he is. He's just underappreciated. Um, but if you, if you get what you need from Middleton and you create a proper game plan for offense, instead of letting the defense just totally collapse on Giannis and having no answer, like we've seen in the past couple of years, that the Bucks are number one in the East for me. Just because, like you said, I mean, obviously Durant, Kyrie, Harden are all world-class scorers, but, I mean, Drew Holiday's a world-class defender. Middleton is too, and so is Giannis. I think they're the only ones who can defensively stack up to Brooklyn. And, I mean, when Milwaukee wants to give you that offense, they, they do. Last year, they were, like, it felt like one of the best offensive teams of all time. Um, they're one of the only teams in the top two in in uh you know offensive and defensive rating. I think, yeah. 
I, I would be curious to see what that... The East playoffs will be fun too, honestly, now that I think about it. And I, I never think about it um, as much. Could, I kind of think about it from the Raptors' perspective, but the East playoffs could could be almost compared to the Western playoffs this year, maybe. That Brooklyn-Milwaukee matchup is the one I'm craving, honestly, because I think that has a chance to be some of the most exciting seven games we've seen in the Eastern Conference in a long time. Yeah, a really long time. I think also Milwaukee, Philadelphia, the kind of NBA Giannis narrative would be pretty cool too. And Giannis is low-key an MVP sleeper this year if he hadn't won the past two. There's nothing he's not doing this year that he didn't do in previous years. He's not gotten worse. He's actually gotten better. They've just been more restrictive i guess with his minutes his time played they've been conscious of how hard he's been playing and they've been mixing up the lineups and trying and trying things out using it kind of as a test sequence instead of just going all out 100 percent every game yeah and even like port portis is shooting uh 468 from three i think Bryn forbes yeah Bryn forbes is shooting 438 from three i think i think this could be um a more interesting Milwaukee team than in past. Although at the same time, it really feels like we'll only know when the playoffs hit because like you just, you don't know what it's not that you don't know what type of Giannis is going to show up. You don't know how he's going to operate in the game until you see it until it's like, until the moment happens almost. Um, yeah. I don't know if they will get over the hump this year, but we'll see. The um, one thing they might have that we're completely discounting is the fact that they know they're the team that everybody's forgotten about. They're the old sweetheart who they've fallen out of love with and they've caught their eyes on Brooklyn and some of these new hotter bandwagon teams that have come along. So I think that yeah, chip I, on their shoulder is something to consider. Yeah, I think I, I don't know how much more satisfied Giannis could get after beat rather than, than beating Brooklyn in a series. I think that would do his career really good things. Um I had a funny thought earlier this week. I will we're jumping topics here, but I was watching one of those like um, like uh, YouTube videos. You know those shows like Bar Rescue or, or that that type of junk where a celebrity comes into like a workplace and basically somehow um, you know God, like awe inspiringly just changes it totally around and it's like it's like it's almost like a show on HGTV about like fixing homes and and just this uber talented person somehow managing to flip a 200,000 you know into uh, I, you know what I mean yeah yeah of course man that's basically just Chris Paul's career now is it not they, I'm saying Chris Paul should start like a reality show or something Chris like Paul franchise he, rescue yeah Chris Paul franchise rescue where he goes to, he just goes to the, um, he just goes to like a twelfth seed, a twelfth seed in one of the conferences last year, and just immediately brings them to the playoffs. I think next year he could do it with maybe season three of the show could could take place in Sacramento. I think that could be fun. Um, maybe season four in New Orleans. I, I like Chris Paul jumping from good team, good. West team to bad West team and then making them good. It's kind of a nice nerve to finish off his career. And I mean, you say finish off his career, but 
I don't know. I, I wonder how much longer he can play at this level. And by what I mean from that is I've listened to a couple different podcasts that have the sun where they've talked about the sun's management feeling like Chris Paul can, can, can continue to extend his career. And although mm-hmm. his role will diminish on the team, he can play late, late, late into his thirties. And as well, I kind of want to talk about how maybe under the radar, the Suns have been this year as far as their record potentially taking over the top seed in the West. And I mean, we haven't seen as much love for Devin Booker as we normally see in a season. Maybe that's because they want to see what he can do now in the playoffs as well. Uh, Bridges has looked great. And then Saric, like you mentioned earlier. Yeah, and I'll give you I'll give you credit. You've been you've been on DeAndre Ayton for it feels like one and a half the past two years ish. He's he's he is he's super effective. Like he adds a lot to that team. I actually feel like I originally I thought he was kind of like a uh, he'll give you blocks and rebounds. He'll 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 decently guard the other team, and then he'll he'll um you know he'll just he'll just put in the shots that. He needs to, and of course, he's benefited a ton from playing with Chris Paul, which big men wouldn't. But he 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 impacts the game. I will say that. Um, on the Chris Paul front, he's thirty five, turning thirty six in eighteen days. There's no way. There's no way he can do this for two more years. I I like as in sorry. There's no more way he can do it for three years. I believe next year he'll he'll kind of look exactly like this, and the year after that. Um, the biggest thing for me is you just you know he's going to get injured eventually and and it feels like this year has been one of the first years in since forever i mean maybe last year too he didn't get injured but it feels like like the first time ever he's been healthy in his career no i think that's a really good point because i often i often find myself lying awake at night sometimes thinking what happens if chris paul doesn't get injured in the playoffs that one time against golden state and it's like the most it, no you should be that should keep you up at night it's like the most nba like altering event all of all time yeah Houston like missing 27 paul. straight threes and chris paul being injured for that last game it's like it, it, the impact of that it does feel immeasurable and like chris paul's my guy i felt every single one of those injuries i was playing basketball fantasy it was my point god and he played minimal minimal minutes for me in the fantasy leagues and it's just i remember always checking my roster checking the injury updates and chris paul injured time after time after time and it's almost like it triggers fight or flight in me now anytime i see a uh, potential injury report from the suns thinking it could be my guy chris paul again yeah and it's not even he doesn't even um he doesn't even miss an absurd amount of regular season games like he, he he'll always hit around 60 uh, regular season games last year he got 70 in which i think was i think he may have played every game the year before that 58 the year before that 58 and the year before that 61 it's more that he just seems to always get injured when he counts when it counts the most and i mean we'll, i guess we'll we have to wait to wait and see if that will happen this season but i mean hopefully it won't i mean it i i hope it doesn't and there's been a lot of talk about his new vegan diet that's been keeping him healthy and in good shape. So I'm hoping that that holds up if that even is a thing. And then as far as, I mean, we look at the Suns, how far do you think they could go in the playoffs? Do you think they actually have the potential 
to compete with the Clippers, to compete with the Lakers if they're at full strength. To, I, I mean, I don't think anybody can, but compete compete with a Utah because it doesn't look like Donovan Mitchell's injury is going to leave them out that long. Yeah. Um, I put them um, – when we talk about Utah, we talk about we talk about them almost like – they are really good because they're doing in the west. They're doing this in the west, and I know the Clippers and, and Lakers have dealt with their injuries, um, but Utah does. I'll give them a bit of credit. They do feel like they're a bit better than those classic, um, like type of teams. Like I think it was twenty sixteen Atlanta, the uh, Teague, Carroll, Corver, Millsap, Horford, where they won like something crazy like 65 games and then got absolutely obliterated in the playoffs by LeBron. I give Utah a bit more credit than that. I think they're a bit better. However, Phoenix, I think falls under the category of um, just, they're just not, I just, like, I just don't know how a series against, against Portland even would go or Dallas would even go. I just feel like every team they play, they have a chance in the playoffs, they'll have a chance of losing it unless they can secure the first seed and maybe play, which they're close to, to give them credit to, and maybe play um, one of Memphis or Golden State or maybe the Spurs. But like, this is like, we're. I feel like we've been talking about injuries maybe more than usual. Another big part of it is in, man, Phoenix has stayed really healthy. I just, I just don't think against a full strength, Clippers, a full strength Lakers, and it's it's there's even a chance, and I think I think they're not gonna beat Portland and Dallas all that easy too. So it's another kind of one of those. Um, I, I I literally hope that they that they make more noise than I'm implying that they will, but I I just don't I really can't foresee it. But like ugh, the Chris Paul effect at the same time, you know. It's I'm I'm honestly so excited for the playoffs and it's going to be a great match, great matchups like as we talked about across the board in the West and the East. Yeah, I'm excited also to do for less in the East Conference because the teams are kind of who cares, but in I know uh, Doncic criticized it. Um, I feel like maybe sometime last week and then Cuban because he just agrees with whatever his star players say um, was like, yeah, I actually shouldn't have voted it. I'm excited for the uh, playing tournament. Although the kind of closer it's getting, it feels like people are saying like, Oh, it's, it's not good. Um, and all that. But in, in the West right now, it, it feels kind of perfect. It, Cause between San Antonio, Golden State, Memphis, Dallas, New Orleans. Those are all those are all fringe eighth seeded teams to me. So like I think they all obviously it feels like Dallas may be getting a bit of the uh, unfair end of the stick because um I mean they're they're 30 and 25 and they've just again injuries. But I'm I'm excited for the playing tournament too. In the in the East it'll be a bit weird. Because there's going to be one really good team, whether it's the, excuse me, one kind of goodish team, whether it be Miami, the Knicks, or Atlanta, or maybe even Boston, as ridiculous as to sound. And you got like the Hornets, the Pacers, uh, the Bulls, Washington, Toronto. But I think in the West, this playing tournament could be a really nice start to playoffs. And I think almost a start similar to um, 
the MLB does the wild card games and it's just it's just one game. Uh, it's like done right after the regular season's over. They jump into it. Both teams play their aces. Um, every bat bat is super important. I'm hoping that this playing tournament turns into something like that. Although um, I can see where people, I can see where the criticism comes from at the same time. All right. So I don't see where the criticism can come from. I love the idea of the play in tournament. I mean, maybe in a year like this where there has been a lot of injuries and it does put an emphasis on playing hard and it's a shortened season and you have to play hard to the end now if you want to secure your spot in the top six and miss the play on. However, any other season, this is flawless. This is gold. This makes 100% sense. I know Doncic was whining about the fact that they'd have to go into the play-in tournament. And I think I don't blame him for it because I would be frustrated if I was in this position. But you just have to kind of realign your mind with this is now what it means to make the playoffs. If you want to make the playoffs, you have to be the top six teams. People have gotten used to that in uh, in baseball and they play infinite more games than and than the NBA. I think yeah. it adds another level of prestige to the playoffs. I think we're going to get some great moments out of the play-in games. My favorite baseball memory ever is from the play-in game um, or the wild card game. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't... I couldn't be more excited for the play-in games. I think even though the Raptors might end up in a play-in situation and it might continue to affect them in the future, this is just what you have to prepare for. And it's gonna, if it's gonna be a part of the game to stay, like like as the owners have voted previously, I feel like the players should embrace it and understand now it means top six to get in the playoffs. And if you're below that, it's about getting into the play-in and, the, and embrace the play-in as far as trying to win that moment. Yeah, it gives you, I like the, I also, like you just said, I like the incentive to like not take off the very end of the season. If you're like, like a six seed, you, if you're a six seed, you, you got to make sure you stay there. Like, like even the Lakers who are in, there's a big difference kind of between the top six and then the rest in the Western Conference. But even the Lakers who are 35 and 22 and they're in the fifth seed, like they can't, just lose all the games or, or, and I know LeBron's not losing and no playing, but like it's, it's, it also is like a nice end to the regular season. Like, whereas like players and teams still want to play their better players from a fan's perspective. It's, it's like almost flawless. Yeah. And I wanted to add in, I'm glad you brought that up again because every single, I mean, I'll speak for myself. Every single birthday as a kid, I was asking for Raptors tickets or Leafs tickets or whatever type of tickets. Mainly it was Raptors tickets because the Leafs weren't in the playoffs deep enough for my birthday ever. And Mm -hmm. when you go to like, and my birthday's later in the season as well. So when you end up at those games and the guy you, you know, like my parents has spent money to come bring my whole family there to watch the game. It's the guy I'm looking for, the guy I'm talking about leading it all out. He sits out. That happens to so many kids. I mean, especially in some of these past seasons, not this season because of the reduced attendance in a lot of the arenas, but the NBA players, I really think owe it to the fans and especially the young fans who come to these later games where maybe the ticket prices are a little cheaper and they can afford it for a full family outing that they do play and do put on that show. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I don't know where I'm quite at on the, um, 
the sitting the star players, but no, from again, from a fan, you always want them to play. Although to me, it's just a tough debate because it's one of those debate where it's where you can actually like understand the other, the, the sitting side, like me and you are both smart enough, especially having watched the Kawhi season with the Raptors and that final result. We see the value in, in sitting players. Like it is there. No, the value definitely is there. So it speaks to, I think, an overall problem in the league because the league needs these players to be playing in the national televised games. They need to be playing in the marquee matchups, but they also need to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the answer to that, I think, I think, and it's going to be a shame for the record books, but I think soon enough we'll see the NBA season kind of stay at 72 games a year. And I mean... Maybe one thing that could alleviate uh, the the amount of games the players play is a midseason tournament. I mean, we heard that we heard them uh, heard some rumblings from about it last year from Adam Silver, and we know the NBA want to make wants to make the regular season more exciting, as we've seen with the addition of the play in tournament. Maybe they add some sort of midseason tournament to shorten the regular season. That or give teams that, yeah, just add excitement in general. I agree that that's something I would like to see. Um, speaking about excitement, some people get excited by it, others not as much. I am one who gets extremely excited about it. Probably my favorite part of the, I mean, offense in basketball, the mid range shot. I think this week we're going to do the window of the week, we're going to choose our favorite mid range players to finish off the show. Yeah, I'm all here for the mid-range talk. I'm I'm more of a paint man myself, if you will, but I always appreciate a good mid-range shot. Are you a uh, drive-to-the-paint type of guy or a post-move type of paint type of guy? I, I'm good with both flavors, honestly. Probably more drive, but I do appreciate some good post-footwork. All right, so let's get into it. I know the last draft, I think I picked Donchic 1 and you had 2-3. So I'll let you go one this time and I'll go two, three. All right. So I think this one's pretty easy and I'm just going to go Michael Jordan right out of the gates. I don't even feel like I need to make my case for it. If you look at the top mid range scores, he's, he's right up there and he's, I I think the case, uh, case makes itself. Yeah. You're the case for you choosing Michael Jordan is that he's Michael Jordan and that is good enough for me. Um, I decided I'm going to make my list a bit funky. I feel like I have to, I'm just going to take DeRozan off the board um, because, I mean, he's actually, I was looking at efficiencies for mid-range and he's kind of like not all that great of a mid-range shooter, but comparatively to other, but at his volume, he, he the way he gets to the free throw line from the mid-range and the way, I mean, he can, feels like that sometimes he can shoot over almost anyone and create at super ends in the shot clock. But to me, more just like the swag, the the rhythm, the the slowness, the footwork. Um, I think I'd rather, I think I'd prefer watching into Rosen fade away, not great mid-range from, you know, the left post corner than a DeRozan layup. I, I just, it's, we grew up on the DeRozan mid-range shot, it feels like. No, I, I completely agree with you on that pick. And I would have, I would have done the exact same thing with my third pick. So good on you. 
Next one, I'm not worried about your taking him, but I do want to kind of acknowledge his greatness. Uh, you may know him from his bad boy day air, his bad boy days in Detroit. Uh, probably the NBA's most underrated scorer of all time. Definitely, actually, uh, Adrian Dantley. Um, this is a guy. He was an interesting player. You may kind of know him from Two K. He's six five. Um, didn't have a three point shot for the like of him, and wasn't too athletic either. Kind of almost. Kind of almost felt like a bit of the CJ McCollum type player, except except obviously a lot a lot uh, more weight. He was a bit of a heavy dude, but basically he just he just found a way to get really close to the kind of rim in the mid range area. He would just turn around and just pop a quick two. Um, for those of you who don't know, from basically 1979 all the way to 1986, he averaged over 28 points a game. This guy, Adrian Dantley, he's one of the best scorers of all time. He had a four-season stretch of 30.7, 30.3, 30.7, 30.6. And yeah, no, the reason I wanted to pick him, he'd, he'd shoot 20 you know, shots a game. They'd all be from the mid-range. Um, so I feel like he, if there's anyone who actually has maybe scored the most shots ever from the mid range, it's him. So I feel like I feel like you probably weren't going to pick him, but I feel like he deserves to go second for me. No, I'm glad you brought him up, and that leads right into my third pick. Somebody who absolutely dominated the, dominated the mid range, and that's Dirk Nowitzki. The one legged fadeaway has inspired millions to shoot in the mid range area, and I think the use of the fadeaway is such a lethal maneuver that. It's iconic, and it. I know there's always a lot of logo talk, but it's one of those Dirk's one-legged fadeaways, one of those images that could be put into that conversation whenever it's brought up. Hundred percent. Uh, Dirk's an interesting one too because he's he's like, is he a legit seven? I think he's six eleven, but for a six eleven guy to be like so mid range oriented, and I mean, I'm not gonna pick Aldridge, but. And you may, and it sucks that he's retiring. It's too bad about his heart. But it's always I love the the tall mid range game because man, it, it really is impossible to defend. It's you're totally banking on them missing the shot. And no, yeah, no, there is no one better at it than Dirk. I feel like yeah, no, just sh- a couple percentages for you. Shooting from sixteen to twenty three feet, he was fifty point two eight percent, and shooting from ten to fifteen, he was forty point five percent. Averaging a total of nine point two nine mid range points per game. The sixteen to twenty three field goal percentage is crazy. At shooting fifty percent. And another kind of I love the shooting percentage and high efficiency guys. And one of the most efficient mid range shooters ever in NBA history is from our own home soil and his name name is Steve Nash. While he only averaged four point three nine mid range points per game, he shot a ridiculous fifty percent from 10 to 15 feet and then an even more ridiculous 53.80% from 16 to 23. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know Nash is like the most efficient shooter of all time from like everywhere. So that's just honestly those numbers. I can't deny that. And the fact that he's Canadian as well, just took it home. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay. So I got two here. Um, I could foil your Nash with the Chris Paul because he's kind of been doing similar things from the mid range for his whole career, but, um, I'm not, I'm going with Sean Livingston solely because of the shot he does where he, 
he's in transition and he just dribbles really, really. You think you think he's gonna, you know, lay it up at the rim. You can test it. He just pulls up for mid range. It's cash every time. I feel like the fun. It was there was one NBA Finals in particular where it seemed like he averaged just four of those quick turnaround mid short mid range shots a game, and they all went in. It was like he literally chose to do that over a layup at times. And so, if you're that confident in your mid range, you deserve to be put on this list, in my opinion. No, I think that's a I think that's a perfect pick. And then as far as guys who are confident in their mid-range and a scorer who really doesn't get enough love, I think you're going to appreciate my final pick here in Alex English. He hoisted a, a lot, 17.6 two-point attempts per game, shooting at a 50 over a 50% rate from them. Just an efficient scorer not too many people talk about. Rocked, I believe, what are your favorite Denver Nuggets jerseys. And Correct. he just quietly dominated the NBA. One of the good yeah, guys in sports with, as man, well. It's recorded. This English that English pick is like the exact same thing as a Danley pick. It's a good pick, man. I didn't. I didn't even get my fourth pick, but I was gonna go with. Uh, I was gonna go with Rip Hamilton. Oh, great pick as well. Yeah, I. I, I this would. This could be one of the best constructed uh, drafts. I think. I was gonna I mean, say living- this. My Livingston pick isn't all that impressive. I, I definitely could have actually chosen a good player there. But um, other than that, I, I feel like, yeah, I, I like this draft more than usual on both sides. No, and I think it was a very strong draft to finish off a strong episode. And I want to thank everybody for listening, and I hope they have a great morning. It is CFRC 101.9 FM. And you're listening to JB on CFRC 101.9 FM. Hello, I'm Tamara Cicerella, a counselor serving area residents who live with addictions or mental health concerns. Deeply committed workers like me assist people in reaching their recovery goals. On April 1st, Addictions and Mental Health Services in Kingston and Frontenac joins Lennox and Addicton in offering confidential quality services. Addictions Mental Health Services, Kingston, Frontenac, Lennox, and Addington is committed to providing the best possible services to all who need it. For more information in Kingston and Frontenac, call 613-544-1356 or in Lennox and Addington, 613-354-7388.